Hey, you're listening to The Treehouse Storyteller. Meet me in the treehouse for God-shaped storytelling. Treehouse Storyteller is where we can come together as messy parents seeking Jesus together and raising kids to love him too. If you aren't scared of addressing cultural issues head on and finding a deeper understanding of the biblical worldview to share with your children, then you've come to the right place. I'm not afraid to be transparent and tell all of the juicy details. Our children are being chased by the world and it is our job to be well-equipped and know not only how to lead our flock, but successfully send our arrows out into the world one day to build the kingdom. So snuggle up by the fire or soak up the sunshine with those earbuds in and meet me in the treehouse for some biblical storytelling. Hey, welcome back to the Treehouse Storyteller. I can't believe how fast season one is going and we only have a couple of episodes left, but don't worry because season two is coming out just around the corner and will be amazing. I already have an incredible lineup of interviews and juicy parenting topics to discuss. So I have an awesome guest with me today. She is a pediatric nurse practitioner in primary care over the last 20 years. Dr. Jessica Peck has engaged, encouraged, equipped, and empowered families to raise holistically healthy kids. Dr. Peck is an accomplished author, a regular contributor to parenting magazines, and is frequent guest on radio and television. Her book, Behind Closed Doors, A Guide to Help Parents and Teens Navigate Through Life's Toughest Issues, was ranked the number one new release in parenting on Amazon. Married to a rocket scientist and mom of four, she hosts the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast on American Family Radio. So without further ado, welcome to the Treehouse Storyteller, Dr. Peck. Oh, thank you so much, Hannah. I appreciate it so much. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I think we're going to have a great time. I agree. I think we are too. So I would love for our listeners to get to know you a little bit. I would love for you to just give a a background of your your accomplishments. Um, And I'd love to hear also kind of talk about your book, Behind Closed Doors, what it's all about, what prompted you to start this writing journey. Sure. Well, you know, recently I overheard my youngest son telling his friend that, hey, my mom's a famous nurse. And the friend says, oh, yeah, how do you know? And he said, I asked Alexa. <laughs> so <laughs> this is the level of, you know, celebrity that I have reached. And it's true. I mean, if you Google me, I have been a um, I have been blessed with an amazing career in nursing, but what you see through all of my credentials and my accomplishments and everything is where I am now. But you have to, I'm always proud of where I started and where I started was a girl with broken family relationships. Uh, Addiction runs through my family. And even in those family members where there was no addiction present, we hadn't relearned new ways of relating and coping. And so those unhealthy relationship patterns just persist. And I ha- I'm estranged from my mom. So mm-hmm. I started as a mom, like wondering, how am I going to be a mom when I don't have a mom? Mm-hmm. And I think I felt a double sense of shame because I was a pediatric nurse practitioner. This was my career. I'm supposed to help people with their kids, but behind closed doors, <laughs> pun intended, sure. uh, 
I was struggling and we were in constant conflict until the point she was 13. The opening scene of this book is her throwing a book at my head while I was driving. <clears throat> it was four volumes. So we're talking like commitment here. I almost oh passed goodness. out. <laughs> it, but it was a crisis wow. point and I realized I needed a new mindset and a new skill set going forward. And so I've been on a journey of healing from my own relational trauma and creating new pathways forward. And that has, you know, been parallel with my nursing career where I've had the head knowledge, but it really brought me to this point when I got to Baylor University in 2019. Here's a faith-based organization. I'm a full professor now. I can kind of say what I want. And that's where Dr. Nurse Mama was born, the brain of a professor, hands-on nursing experience, but most importantly, the heart of a mom. I've Mm. been there. I know how hard it is. I know what parents are facing because as a nurse, the most trusted profession People are sharing all their secrets with me. So I have that behind the scenes view. I know that life isn't perfect. And so I felt like God was just really calling me in a new direction to engage and equip and encourage and empower parents to find hope for healthy relationships in their families. Oh, that's really good. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So I would love to continue with talking about you as a nurse practitioner and discussing how you blend that kind of starting at the foundation level of your belief system as a fellow Christ follower mama, how you blend that world of your spiritual beliefs with your practice as being a nurse. I'd love to see your worldview and and how you, you know, just really the framework for your belief system with that. Well, I have always, I was raised in the heritage of faith. And so I grew up in church and I came to know the Lord at at an early age, at the age of 12. And I've always walked with God. But, you know, I feel like as I was being a nurse practitioner, I felt like I was a nurse practitioner who was also a Christian. And there was a point in my career where God was really calling me out of my comfort zone. You know, I was the first woman in my family to go to college. I had never traveled anywhere outside of Houston where I grew up. And so I started going places by myself and I found myself at the U.S. Capitol, like assigned to to speak with our senator and to educate him on issues related to nursing. And I did it. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, you know, like, I can't believe I did that. And God just spoke to me in that moment and just told me, I am with you. Is that enough? Are you going to give everything to me? And I feel like working in state schools is just a different perspective. It's not like my faith didn't inform what I do, but you just don't have the same freedom in sharing that. But when I went to Baylor, I really feel like my mindset transformed. Instead of being a nurse who was a Christian, I view myself as a Christian who has a platform of nursing. And the beautiful thing is that science really <laughs> supports nursing and, and supports our health and our faith. And so when I look at, so for an example, a small little example. When I look at a verse like, uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, give thanks and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When I break that down as a nurse, giving thanks in everything, that's intentional gratitude. There is so much research about intentional gratitude that says it lowers your blood pressure. It decreases your risk of stroke. It decreases your risk of heart attack. So when I go back and read, it's guarding your heart. That's not just some you know theoretical warm fuzzy, like, oh, God will make your heart feel good. He's literally making your heart healthy with spiritual yeah. practices. And so I see 
all of that. And it's really fun to step out on that, um, that integration, because to me, it's just one and the same. We're body, mind, and spirit. That speaks to me as a holistic practitioner. I don't just care about your body. I care about your mind, your soul, and your spirit. That's beautiful. I love that. And I love that verse too. It is one of my favorites. Um, Okay. So we, as moms, we have opinions and especially as Christians, we have, you know, our beliefs and some of these hard topics that we're seeing in today's culture, especially with parenting, we know where we stand, or maybe we think we know where we stand, but I think the hard part is sometimes talking about it. And like really being able to have those real conversations that are not uh, damaging, but that are helpful and, you know, something that is moving things forward and actually um, gaining ground with our conversations. And I think you do a beautiful job in your book of giving parents a very real, tangible, logical way to deal with some of these conversations. Um, So I I would love to hear kind of, you know, your take and how you guide parents uh, to really have these conversations. You say things like um, your your motivational interviewing, uh, for instance. I love, love, love that. Um, I, I'd love for you to expand on that. And then also your love, your team model that you talk mm-hmm. about. Sure. Well, you know, I think it's easy to talk about issues in the abstract and to know what we believe and what we think on a theoretical level or just from our, you know, philosophical position. But what I see as a nurse practitioner behind closed doors is a lot of families at a point of crisis they never saw coming. And somehow when these issues crash into your home and they're right in the heart of your family, it somehow looks a little bit different and things that seem so black and white and so absolute. And I would, you know, I would never, I would always, all of a sudden you feel like, Oh wait, what would I, should I, could I, shouldn't I? And it's very difficult. So a lot of these issues that kids are facing today are not easy. And there's a national shouting match and an argument that's going on like right over the heads of these families with real needs in real time. And so for me as a nurse practitioner, I really take a very individualized approach. Every family is beautifully and uniquely different. Every family has different circumstances. Every family has different equipping, you know, different skills and resources. Sources and they're at a different point in the journey and I want to meet them where they are. So that, that can be really, really hard. But again, it's kind of until you've walked in those shoes, it's easy to judge from the outside. And so one thing I talk about a lot is those issues that maybe you know you feel like are not in your family. We have to be so careful as moms how we talk about other people who are experiencing those. So one example would be suicidal thoughts. You know, when we say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's so selfish. How could they do that to their parents? Our kids file those messages away and they think, that's what you would think about me. And then that helps them to gauge their risk in coming to you. So we just have to be really careful that we're always speaking the truth in love. You know, that's really important. And, uh, and when we, you're talking to your teens about these kinds of things, that goes to what you were asking me about the love your teen model. I think about be quick to listen, be slow to speak, 
and slow to become angry. I mean, if that is not advice for talking with teenagers, I do not know what that verse is for. Um, but when we're talking about our, um, you know, communication with teens and people always ask me like, how do teens tell you all of this? Cause let me tell you, I have a treasure trove of, of secrets, you know, that teens just pour their hearts out to me on a daily basis. Well, here's the secret. This is really, truly the magic in all of this. I just listen. I listen a lot. I think you have two ears and one mouth and you just need to listen more than you, uh, more than you speak. And what we need to do with teens, first of all, is listen with our face. We often don't listen with our full face and attention. Our faces are in a smartphone. Our faces are living at wow. the speed of a smartphone. We're cooking, we're driving, we're running to the next place. We're doing laundry, but we have to make a habit of just stopping whatever we're doing. Because if our teens are coming to us and initiating conversation, they're saying this is important. And we need to acknowledge that back and just say, okay, I'm, I will pull over on the side of the road and say, this is important. I want you to have my full face. And they'll say, mom, you're not listening with your face. It's actually a phenomenon called fubbing, phone snubbing. And we, <laughs> when we fub our children, it actually, it makes them disrespect us. Mm. And when we make eye contact with them, and this is from research, when we make eye contact with them, it produces oxytocin, which is the same chemical we have like when we're nursing as mm. new mamas, you know, nursing babies. So when we don't make that eye contact, God designed that so that they would have a chemical reaction to us and they would feel bonded to us and it would soften the way. So that is the love your teen model, the motivational interviewing. It's just four easy steps. Love, L-O-V-E. Listen with your face. Offer open-ended questions. So train yourself in the first words that come out of your mouth to be a question and not a comment, not a lecture, not a, you know, a shaming statement, but just saying like, oh, how does this make you feel? How are you dealing with this? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what do you need from me? Just make it a question and be curious. Step four, V, validate their emotions. So say, I can see that you're angry. I can see you're sad. I can see this really hurt you. I can see this is really, you know, um, knocked you for a loop. Like just whatever yeah. it is that they're feeling, name and claim that emotion. And then E is explore next steps together. So after you've built that communication bridge, they're going to be more receptive to what you have to say. And if you're working on building your relationship in between times, then that's going to help. And the last thing I'll say is this, a lot of parents, you know, when they're teen, they feel like their teens hide things from them. Like you're being deceptive. You're not mm -hmm. telling me, you're lying to me. You're hiding this. And then they tell me everything. Well, mm -hmm. why is that? It's not because I'm some, <laughs> like have some a secret potion really, or, or I'm trying to get them to tell me all of these things. It's because your kids are wired and designed to care so much about what you think about them as their parent. They don't care as much about what I think, but they know I can help them. They know I can give them resources. They know I can gauge their parents' reaction and say like, oh, this is a big deal. Like this is, this is bad. Or I can say, okay, you know what? This is, this is small. There are lots of solutions for this. So many times they'll come to me first and they'll talk to somebody else first because they're, they really want to preserve what you think of them. And I think that's important for us as parents to remember. Oh, that's so good. I love all of that. I love the love your teen model. I think that can go so far. And I mean, I can 
apply that to my four-year-old just as much as my almost 13-year-old son. Oh, your husband? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> or knock on him and say, hey, look at me. <laughs> Listen with your face. That's what yeah. I say. Go look at the football game. <laughs> we need t-shirts. Do you have t-shirts? I feel like you need t-shirts. Listen with your face. Okay, it happened right here. I think I, I think if you need help yeah. designing that, I'm on it. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Uh, you could you can make hats. I'm gonna go yeah. make a whole whole store for you. It's really a thing. It's gonna happen. No. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you credit. It's, I mean, our culture is so no. You don't you don't need it. <laughs> I don't need it. It's fine. <laughs> um, no, I think that's awesome. So I think it is. It's so important and vital for us Christian parents to not only be informed of what is happening in our children's culture in the world that they are growing up in, because. Oh my goodness, it's a different world than what you and I grew up in. And also what is coming their way, like what is still, you know, coming as they grow older, uh, maybe they haven't experienced yet. I mean, for me, I've got a almost 13 year old, a 10 and a half and a four. Um, and so I'm like, man, by the time my four year old is a teenager, what's that going to look like? I mean, you know, you can kind of project what you think it might look like, but man, if we're going down the route we are going right now, it's, it looks very, very scary. Um, so now I'm sure many of my listeners are parents of younger children and I'm in that, that box. I've got the younger kids too, but I think it's so important for us to really, to hear what teens are struggling with now so we can have that information and be ahead of the game and be leading our kids from the front and not following them behind. Because I think a lot of times parents are just kind of waiting until that thing is knocking on their door and then going, oh, okay, how do we deal with this? Oh, they're asking me this question now. I better figure that out. But we really need to be leading our families from the forefront. And so, Jessica, what do you see as the most frequent issues today that your kids, that kids walk in your doors struggling with? Like, what are your top two? Like, hey, mamas, like, watch, like, figure this one out now. Oh, my goodness. It's so hard because... Before I tell you what those top two are, I'll tell you that there's a disconnect between what we as parents want the world to look like for our teens and what it actually looks like. So we are, we really have to take a step back and look from their perspective. You know, when your kids are toddlers and you get on your hands and knees and you look around and see like what plugs are there, what cords can they pull down? Mm -hmm. We need to take that same attitude with our teens and look and see what they are seeing and respond to them where they are. And there are a lot of parents who think that they don't want to expose their kids to things that they haven't been exposed to yet. But again, in this day and age, you're living at the speed of a smartphone. It doesn't matter if your kid doesn't have a phone. If they have any sort of interaction with the outside world, if they're walking by a grocery store aisle and they see the cover of a magazine, if they yeah. have any conversation with anyone else, they can be exposed. So I really propose something radical that not only it should you expose them, you must expose them mm. in a developmentally appropriate way 
that positions you as the expert and opens the door to tell them, if this ever happens, you can come and talk to me. I'll give you an example. My daughter was in fifth grade when she was first exposed to pornography at a Christian school. You know, there was a girl who was watching a YouTube video and she saw a cartoon embedded. But what I had told my daughter before was, hey, there are people all around you with screens and not everybody watches the same things we do. And you may see something at some point that you just don't understand that makes you feel bad inside, that makes you feel like you've done something wrong. And if that happens, it may even make your body feel funny. If that happens, you come and talk to me. Well, that was enough of a prompt. I didn't have to tell her all the nitty gritty details, but that was enough of a prompt that she knew to come to me. So, uh, you know, in behind closed doors, I actually talk about the top 12 things that I see uh, every day in clinical practice, but I'll pick out just for you, Hannah, the top two. (laughs) You can go, you can do more than two if you have to. (laughs) (laughs) No, the top two are uh, mental health and sexual risk-taking behaviors. That is what I see most common. And probably third after that would be substance abuse and misuse. And some of those things, you know, haven't changed, but just the way in which we experience them have changed. But these are things I see every day. And we as mamas have to drop the not my kid mentality and think, Mm -hmm. well, my kid would never, you know, because because our kids, their frontal lobe is not developed until Mm -hmm. their mid-20s. So as parents, we ask that question that was handed down to us in the parenting handbook, right? Like, what were you thinking? And they weren't thinking because they're not capable of thinking, but a smartphone makes their decision-making process faster than their brain is able to process it. And so that's really what happens. And we have to have grace for that. We have to have understanding for that and realize they may get themselves in a situation that is over their head and they're not value, you know, they're not violating their morals or, you know, making a terrible choice as much as they just didn't, they weren't able to think that through and the situation went faster than their brain could process. Wow. The, the infiltration of the smartphone thing. Uh, I think it was two episodes ago, we were talking about um, being our kids Google. And, you know, just, you know that was kind of like what came out of my conversation with uh, Kayla Yoder. And we just went off on that for a while. And I think it's so important that we are who our kids can come to. And they know that we might not have the answer, but we, you, they can start there to figure out the answer and trust us from that perspective. And that's awesome. Uh, so one of my favorite pieces from your book, we already talked about the love your team model. Um, but I also, um, I want you to expand a little bit more on the letters. So God uses letters of men breathed with his spirit to grow and raise up his children. We see that all through the Bible, many, many letters are written. And I think that's beautiful. I come from a writer mama who just writes letters like no other. Uh, You encourage your readers at the end of each chapter to write something you call legacy letters. I think this is awesome. Can you explain this for us? Oh, Hannah, I'm so excited you asked me about this because I don't often get asked about it, but it's one of the things that I love the most in the book. So today's teenagers, they see communication as digital and disposable. So you think about it, all of our communication is designed to disappear. Text messages you delete. Even, you know, I don't know if you've had kids on social media, but you know, my kids are on social media. They'll, you know, they'll take the phone and like take a picture under my chin, like just snap this horrible, awful picture, which I'm thinking, 
me like I'm Gen X. Like get that phone up and high and give me a filter. You know, but they, they don't see that. They're just like, oh, I'll just take another one. They don't know the pain of 24 millimeter film. You know, trying to get the save your pictures. Like they don't have a mentality to save pictures. Everything is disposable. If you communicate with your friend, it's on a snap message that disappears, you know? Mm -hmm. So to have something in your parents or your grandparents, I give a shout to grandparents out there, their handwriting is incredibly novel. And you Mm -hmm. see kids kind of having this affection for things retro, like starting to collect vinyl or even eight tracks I'm seeing start to come back. But this is a really special way to leave a generational keepsake, something that they will keep for generations to come. But here is the catch, Hannah. This is the real important part. You have to give it without any expectation of response. Mm. Because when you give it, you know, I know I I wrote these for for my kids and I'm in the process of writing them still for my younger kids. And I'll tell you, you know, there was one for my oldest daughter. Like, I mean, I'm just sobbing, like just having this emotional experience. And then I'm glowing. I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, this is so beautiful. Like, look what I made, you know, and you give it to a teenager and they're like, uh, that's weird. (laughs) And they're like, okay, yeah. You know, but I I can't tell you how many times I've left a note on one of my kids' pillow and then I see it go up on their bulletin board or I Mm. see them keeping it in an important place. We have to release them from the pressure of giving us feedback on that and just invest what we think is wise and give it as a free gift with no strings attached. That will be more meaningful. But it's every chapter has a different prompt. So you may be writing something about, you know, your kids' friends and what you see in them that in their friendship that edifies them or about when they took their first breath or um, one of my favorites is writing a poem about them, which I know some of you are like, oh my gosh, poem? No, I'm not doing that. (laughs) There's something special about being authentic and stepping outside of your comfort zone and just living in the awkward and saying, yeah, I know that was awkward, but I I really enjoyed it. And I just wanted to give it to you. You know, kids really respect that authenticity. So that, that has been one of my favorite things that I've done. That's really awesome. I love that so much. It reminds me of my teenage years. And my mom used to take um, your like three by five little note cards and she would write a verse or something encouraging. And in my memory, it was like daily. I know it wasn't daily at all. And it was usually when we were probably in a fight or mad at each other and she'd be praying for me that morning and she would write a little note card and she'd hang it on my mirror for me to wake up to. And I don't know that I ever reciprocated. You know, as you're saying that, I'm like, shoot, I'm pretty sure I was like, okay, cool. And I I mean, I read it. I really did take it in and I I read it and I had an open heart uh, toward it. But I don't think I ever once said, oh, mom, thank you so much for writing that. (laughs) And I don't think I ever stuck one on her mirror. So, um, you know, I just hurried up, got in the shower to make the bus. So... But I mean, it really, those, those words were written on my heart and there's so Mm. much power in the written word. Uh, And I'm sure you know the science behind that too. There's something that really connects the brain and the heart when you are, when you're writing and when you're reading something like that. And it's so special uh, to have that, to pass down to our kids. So I just love that idea. I love that you incorporate that in your book and thankful, thankful for you having that heart to see you know, the fruit of what that can cause. So that's really, really awesome. 
So not to like completely switch gears, but I really want to talk about this topic with you. Um, and I mean, this, this can be an open-ended topical discussion too. It doesn't have to hit this topic, but specifically in my conversations that I've had with parents lately, how do you suggest parents walking forward with their kids struggling with may it, maybe it's mental health, maybe something like gender dysphoria? I mean, these things are like huge, huge topics right now. Um, and I, I would love to see kind of you know, your heart of, you know, opening up that conversation. And perhaps it's not even your child, perhaps it's a, a cousin or a niece or nephew or someone in your circle that you want to have this, you know, ability to still have an influence in a conversation with them without being a, a closed door in your face. Sure. Well, you cannot, the truth is, this is a harsh truth. You cannot lecture your way to leverage behavioral change and you cannot argue your way into right relationship. And I think as parents, sometimes we're so, we're, we have the right motivation. We want our kids to adopt our beliefs. And so we get kind of panicky. And in this culture that promotes what I call fear-based parenting, where there's constantly a threat, like gender dysphoria, fentanyl, you know, I mean, human trafficking, you name it. We're like, oh my gosh, you know, I got to tell you this right now. You got to stay safe. And we just go into this like panic mode and it does not work work. It doesn't resonate with our kids. They don't relate to it. They don't listen to it because they're designed that way in their brains. They're designed to feel invincible, to feel like, yes, there may be threats in the world, but nothing's going to happen to me. That's not a character flaw. That is a normal developmental behavioral trait. And so we have to look at that. The way that we influence our kids' worldview is by building relationship. Research is clear on this. If kids feel close to us, they are going to adopt our values. They're going to adopt our belief system. They're going to value what we say. And the hard truth is there is no easy way to do that. It takes blood, sweat, tears, and our most valuable commodity, that is our time. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard thing. We have no tolerance for long-term problems. You know, when we see something like, or they come home and they ask us a question about gender dysphoria, we want to give them this little TikTok speech and, you know, then have them fill out a survey. Like we're some uh, robot, you know, <laughs> that say like, okay, well, how is that for you? Do you believe what I believe now? Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Bye-bye. But we have to, we really have to sit in those hard places. So I do that through a lot of different ways. First of all, I want to create an environment, a physical environment in my home where my kids feel welcomed. So what that is, is I have a chair that's right by my desk in my office. I work from home. And so I, I leave that chair open all the time and they mm. know they can come sit in there at any time. And mm. sometimes, you know, they just want to sit there and just kind of be in my presence, but I'm watching for cues for conversation. Another physical environment that I really look at is, is their bedroom at night? I tuck in my teenager still, mm -hmm. you know, and that may be awkward. You may think I don't see my teenager before they go to bed. We'll start by making a habit of just popping your head in and saying, mm -hmm. Hey, I just want to tell you good night. And then, you know, over time, you can build a relationship till maybe one day you're sitting at the end of their bed and then, you know, you reap the reward of them reading the war and peace of their life to you at nighttime. Yeah. 
So I try to create physical environments. And then the second thing is trying to have fun. Not everything has to be serious. So spending time with them and the things that they want to do. So joining them where they are, you know, like, I don't don't play basketball, but my son (laughs) likes to play basketball. So maybe I'll go out there and make a fool of myself and show him how (laughs) no mom cannot play horse. Like you will destroy (laughs) me every time, but I'm out here humiliating myself for you. And then the third thing is just by initiating conversations because kids are not going to come to you and say, Oh, you know, um, my friend group was talking today about gender dysphoria, and I would like to have a serious conversation with you about that so that I can know what I believe. (laughs) Like, they don't do that. You have to initiate, you have to look for life cues around you, and you have to say, Hey, this is something I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. You have to realize. They're not going to reciprocate. You know, I mean, even me, I do this every day for a living. I talk to teens about sex, like literally every single day. When I talk to my own teens, my my son, I wrote in the book about it. He put his hoodie up, (laughs) pulling the drawstring tighter and tighter until literally only his nose was sticking out. I'm having a conversation with nostrils. Like, and all he says to me is, we will never speak of this again. So overarching of that is I think, you know, we have to be in parenting for the long game. We have to recognize that planting and harvesting don't happen in the same season. We have to invest in ourselves and our healing journey and our spiritual journey because that faith is going to be caught. It's not going to be taught. It's going Mm. to be caught. And so I think that, you know, just parenting for the long game and saying, okay, and you know, here's the most important thing, Hannah, I think, oh, it gives me goosebumps to think about our kids need to see confidence in our eyes when they look at us, Mm -hmm. that we believe they are the smartest, kindest, wisest, most amazing person in the whole world. Because you think about your 13-year-old self. That is not a good time for anyone. No. Like we're awkward. We feel awkward physically. We feel awkward emotionally. We feel awkward socially. But if they look at us and they see that we say, hey, I know you're struggling right now. I know you don't think that you're beautiful. I know that you don't think that you're socially desirable, but I do. Mm. I do. And I believe in you because kids are listening to what we say about them. And more importantly, they believe us and what we mm-hmm. say, what we believe they will become. So believe the best and they, and they will rise to your expectations. I love that. I love that so much. I, I just have one question. Did you ask your son to look at you with his full face when all you <laughs> the little nose sticking out. That was a time where he was excused. Like he did not want to see my face. Like maybe ever again after we had that conversation. So no, um, that was one time where it was fine. And actually, I'll tell you something funny, Hannah. So sometimes, even now, like uh, my one of my children, who shall remain nameless um, now, but they will have a conversation. <laughs> They'll say like, okay, I'm going to turn around and you have to talk to my back because I can't look in your face. You know, and yeah. I have an awkward question. Okay. That's good. I'm comfortable yeah. with awkward with awkward questions. You can ask me any awkward question you want. We might both blush and be totally embarrassed by the time yeah. this conversation is over. We'll yep. get through it. Together. Yep. Totally. No, that's great. Uh, my son put, um, well, I, I should have said one of my kids, but I threw him under the bus. Um, my son, uh, yesterday I was looking for a container to put our leftovers in and I find two hot dogs in our container drawer 
in a container. And I'm like, um, buddy, uh, did you maybe put the hot dogs away yesterday? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I put them in the fridge. I'm like, did you though? Because I found them in the cabinet. And his response is, Oh, I hate hormones, mom. And he ran down the stairs. <laughs> so he just, because this is like his third time of putting something that should go somewhere, like very obviously somewhere else, some <laughs> in the wrong place. And he just, he's like, oh, I just have to blame it on hormones. It's, on, it's my hormones, mom. Well, you know, this is a total digression, but just very quickly being a boy mom, you know, I thought mm-hmm. I was such a good mom when I had my girls. And then I realized, oh, I'm just a girl mom. Like boys are going to give me a run for my money. And so one day I had a guest over and I had like these rolls of toilet paper on this little shelf in the back in the bathroom for the guest bathroom. And they came out and told me, you know, there's a hot dog in every, (laughs) (laughs) every toilet paper tube. I'm like, I, I do not even know what to say at this point, except for we just call that bathroom the truck stop. That's all I can say. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway, so okay, I digress. Cool. <laughs> awesome. I want to know the motive behind that, like what the uh, thought process. I think I'm going to blame hormones. <laughs> well, I mean, again, it's not fully developed, so maybe there wasn't thought process involved at all. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's awesome. This is so fun. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, all right. So before we go, I'd like, I I always ask my guests this last question. So what are your top values you want to encourage other mamas listening to make sure we are passing down to our next generation? Oh my goodness. Okay. So this is such a great question. I think the, the first thing that I value is authenticity. I really value authenticity as a mom and sharing in a developmentally appropriate way, of course, your journey. You know, I have, uh, I experienced a lot of hurt and trauma. And so I am very transparent with that with my kids. And I say, you know what? I'm struggling with this. You know, I think about Mother's Day coming Mm -hmm. up. That's always hard for me. And Mm -hmm. my kids know that. And then I tell them, this is how I'm getting through it. You know, I know that, and I'll give them scriptures, you know, that Mm -hmm. God is my refuge and my strength a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. And Mm -hmm. so I I think that just valuing that, just saying, I'm sorry, I, I messed that up. I could have done that better. Will you please forgive me? Just being humble in our parenting and not feeling like we always have to be perfect or we always have to be right. I just feel like being authentic and sharing your journey is really important. The other um, value that I have is scripture. I mean, just really standing on the word of God because my words and (laughs) self-help, I I have helped myself into plenty of really bad situations. Mm -hmm. But I think that, um, but just standing on the value of scriptures is, is so important. And just using that in my everyday conversation, you know, I, one of my verses I tell my kids all the time now is the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So when they think that something good has been withheld from them, I'm like, God says, this is not good for you. And we trust him. He's protecting you. He's lighting your path. I think another thing that I value in, in mothering is joy finding joy in the journey that can be really hard to do. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I think just finding joy along the way is is really important. And oh my gosh, there's so many other things, you know, that that I could say, but um, but I I guess the last thing that I would say is hope. Don't ever give up. Don't lose hope. Mm -hmm. There is hope for you. There's hope for your kids. And I look at my kids and I see, you know, they've had to struggle with some things that I've had to struggle with, you know, as I'm relearning new ways. But I look at their 
at the way they're growing up and where they are and their generation removed from that. And their kids will be another generation removed from that. And so I just always know that, you know, the Lord's mercies are new every morning because that's how often we need them. And his faithfulness yeah. is great. And as we, as we hope. Yeah, that's awesome. I agree with all of those. Those are so good. Uh, Jessica, thank you again for being on the Treehouse Storyteller podcast. I know I have greatly enjoyed so many good laughs and tears and uh, good nuggets along the way. I'm sure our listeners walked away with so many things that they can apply to their own parenting and uh, relationship with their kiddos. Um, So I just thank you again for being with us today. Uh, I will put everything in the show notes so you guys can connect with Jessica. And she has an awesome Instagram that I follow daily. (laughs) And I love all the things that she posts. Uh, It's it's a great resource to start there. And she's got her podcast and her book. Uh, Go check out her book. It's awesome. So thank you again, Jessica, for being with us. Thank you so much. This was so fun. I I knew we were going to have fun. And I can tell you of all the podcasts I've done in media, I've never had conversations about hot dogs like that, but it was a nice story. So I love it being relatable. And thank you so much for trusting me to welcome me into your community. I do feel like we just had a treehouse talk and now we should have s'mores because we already talked about treehouses, hot dogs. We should probably do that. Let's have some proverbial s'mores, like just some theoretical having that with yeah. your hand at the flight <laughs> from Denver to Houston, maybe, I don't know, I'm, two I'm hours. Yeah. All right. Okay. Awesome. I'll you see you soon. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Wait, before you go, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and follow us on Facebook or Instagram at the Treehouse storyteller. So we can stay connected. Head on over to the treehouse for more products, artwork, photography, and encouragement. See you next time.